You are listening to episode 84. And I also would like to introduce today the Okiki Video Bootcamp. Yes, I will be launching a course, which I will have a wait list in the show notes. And I will be launching some group coaching as well. I know there has been a lot of requests lately of people wanting to learn how can they create content for their own brands. And so I'm looking forward to bringing you along in the journey with that. If that's something that you've wanted to gain skills and techniques on, this will be for you. You'll learn systems on how to create content effectively and efficiently and have more time for yourself in the process. While reaching your clients. Again, you can find the information for the Okiki Video Bootcamp in the show notes below. Hello everyone and happy new year and welcome back to the Okiki podcast and we have a few amazing episodes coming up for you right this month in the new year. And if you have been following us all along and enjoying this podcast, be sure to leave me a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. It really will help to continue to promote this podcast and the information that I am so honored to share through our guests to all the beautiful listeners. Another amazing achievement for the Okiki podcast is that we are featured on the Feedspot blog and actually listed as number two for a Canadian inspirational podcast. So thank you so much. That is due to you and you all listening to the podcast and taking time to really invest in that every single week. Now, on today's episode, I get the privilege of interviewing Evan Unger, who is a business partner with Jordan King at Tuck Capital. They are millennial business owners of an eight-figure real estate holding and investment firm, and they both have incredibly diverse and interesting backgrounds. Evan Unger is a Guinness World Record Breaker and he is a record breaker twice for the highest stand jump. He's also amongst that real estate developer, entrepreneur, and communications professional. And he has built various companies, including the one we will discuss today. His partner in this business is Jordan Alexander King. Jordan King is one of the leading businessmen of this generation. He's a versatile entrepreneur, and he has his expertise in real estate development and startup investment. And he also came from a very unique background of doing producing and working in the music industry. So both of them have come together to create this incredible company. And this episode is also brought to you by Okiki Consulting, where we help brands tell their stories through video content. So whether you need help with your content strategy, video editing for your organization, or simply some courses or workshops to learn how to attack this new video content revolution happening on social media, you can get help with Okiki Consulting. Learn more at okikiconsulting.com. And on with the episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fianna O'Brien. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Okiki podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Evan Unger, and he is also a business partner with Jordan King in Tuck Capital. So Evan actually is going to talk about what they work on together and just all the types of projects they have going. And what's really exciting about having this guest today is that they both have done a lot of amazing feats in their own space. Evan happens to be a two-time Guinness World Record holder, actually, for highest standing jump. He also has certified personal training and one of those top sales consultants and doing sales training, actually, with over 300 or $3 million. And also, they have a lot with their real estate investment, healthcare, financial planning, goal setting. So we're going to talk about all of this today. And so I'm very excited to have Evan on the podcast, and they are both partners in Tuck Capital. So thank you, Evan, for being on the Okiki podcast today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So I want to ask, because you have a very varied background, and when I look at a lot of entrepreneurs, and especially people in the creative space as well, because Jordan has the creative space background what in that winding road journey for you kind of led you to Tuck Capital and the ventures that you're doing today? You know what? I think I've always been really like involved in sales and competitive and always had a really big drive for like finances towards finances and financial growth as well as personal development. And so always being very driven. That's kind of how Jordan and I got together is that He's very driven. I'm very driven, very ambitious. And so we kind of had that competitive mentality and we decided, hey, let's put that together and, and aim it at something productive. And we started in cryptocurrency, believe it or not, uh, helping people acquire cryptocurrency back in the day when it was like not so mainstream. It was kind of just emerging. From there, we realized how large our networks were. So we had huge networks and we had a lot of people who had money and a lot of people who were starting projects and businesses that needed it. So we started Tuck Capital, introducing those people, connecting, consulting. And then we had a person in our network reach out for a private loan on a real estate deal. And so uh, we lent them that money and that's kind of how we got into the real estate side of things and opened our eyes to the potential in real estate and how it can be used as a really, really great vehicle to wealth and generational wealth. And so um, we you know, planted our feet and, and have been at it ever since. For sure. And even just to backtrack on that even a little bit. So you mentioned that you both noticed you had these wide networks and uh, individuals, investors with money that you knew you could connect. Even in that, because I know you started more in sports and Jordan started more in the music industry. How did you even begin to form those networks that eventually led to, to that process? That's a great question. I, I really think like we're both like very enthusiastic, extroverted people. And so even more myself, I find Jordan being a little quieter than me, which is the funny part, but both very outgoing and we're, we're both very opinionated as well. And so we tend to be the ones who speak up. We tend to be the ones who talk a lot. You know, people come and talk to us, more the life of the party, if you will. And, you know, through college and, and school and employment too, you know, you a lot of people tend to gravitate towards that type of personality. And I also gravitate towards talking to everybody. And so you build up these big networks, you go through different companies, different businesses. I also did network marketing and grew a massive network there. And so, you know, these different 
aspects of our personality really helped us grow. Uh, and then also putting focus on that too. So really understanding that, you know, your network determines your net worth. So important to make sure you're putting a focus on really growing how many people you have in your network and what value you're providing to them. Yeah, thank you, because I know a lot of our listeners are kind of trying to figure out how do they make those next steps. So just hearing <laughs> how the process was is definitely going to be inspirational to them. So then you came up as partners with Tuck Capital. And do you mind just going into what is that exactly? And I know you kind of brushed on it a little with investments, real estate, but what was kind of the big dream behind that brand? Tuck Capital's dream and our motto or our slogan is connecting the world through business. And so it's really about how do we provide the most amount of value to everybody in our network by connecting them with other people in our network. And then obviously being able to, you know, walk those deals in, walk those people into those scenarios that they're looking for. Some people just don't have the network and they know what they're looking for, but they don't understand how to get there or they don't have the rapport or the relationship built with the right people. And so all it takes sometimes is like, oh, actually I have a friend and he's in this industry and that saves that person a year of door knocking or cold calling or, uh, you know, trying to prove someone to someone that they, they have this business venture and it's viable. So, you know, we take a look at the business venture. We take a look at the deal that they have. We say, okay, you know, this is what you need to change in order to appeal to the people in our network. And then we'll introduce you to, you know, A, B, and C and see how they like it. That's awesome. So it's a bit of a like investment firm, but then you also do real estate as well. And then I also wanted to touch on that because when I looked up at your company and, and both of you, I noticed that you're also very prolific in the real estate space. So where did that kind of come in and why did you see that as a valuable addition to your organization and brand? So we were introducing people and finding money for people who needed funding for their deals, basically raising capital for people uh, in their ventures. And someone approached us for some capital that they needed to complete a real estate transaction. And we agreed to provide that funding for them, provided it for them, and then ended up doing some real estate with them. And that kind of opened our eyes to, you know, if they're borrowing money at this cost, how much money are they actually making doing this, right? And so, you know, because borrowing private money for real estate is not, it's not cheap, it's expensive. And so to be able to borrow that and still make really great margins, there's got to be something going on here. So, you know, that's kind of where we had our eyes open to the real estate model and market. And then we started a comp our company called Tuck Developments, which is our real estate basically arm of Tuck. And so, yeah, we're, we follow a few different models of real estate investing and we're scaling really aggressively and uh, all over Ontario and looking to get into the United States soon too. So. Before I get into like more of what Tuck is doing with Tuck Developments and yeah, Tuck Capital, I want to kind of go into another aspect that you both kind of bring to this. And this is goal setting. As we know, with the new year, everyone's trying to figure out their goals. How are they going to reach those dreams? And hearing you talk about, you know, some of these ventures and ideas that um, you and your team member have really come up with together, it can be really intimidating for people who want to dream big and want to get there. So what are those steps and foundational steps that you would, and I don't know if it's even steps is the right word, like what is the process that you would suggest to someone if they came to you today and said, hey, like, I see what you're doing. It's super inspirational. Where do I even begin to go in that direction? 
What a great question. I, I honestly, I get this question all the time. I think it's the most common question for people who are kind of soul searching for what they want to do and trying to figure out where they want to do it. I think that a big piece to this is finding something you're passionate about first. And I know everyone says like, oh, find what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's like, okay, well, you know, that works sometimes. It doesn't always work, but find something you're passionate about and start to, you know, chunk down on that idea. But when it comes time to actually plan goals, like once you've decided, I want to do this in real estate, or I want to do this in car sales, or I want to get into health and wellness or clothing design or whatever it may be, anything, the best way to goal plan is pick this big, big goal, set a date for it that you think is attainable, but pretty scary for, to try and attain. And then everything you work backwards from there. So you set this big goal. Jordan and I do this every year uh, in the beginning of the year. So we just finished our goal planning week, basically, where we've sat down all week planning out every goal we have, chunking them down to really, really small goals, actionable items, putting them into calendars, putting them into project management so that really our focus is just on execution now. So, you know, you take a goal like, let's say you're in sales of some sort and you're selling t-shirts. I don't know, something easy here. Let's say you're selling t-shirts. And your goal is to make $100,000 this year. Let's say $120,000 so we can make easy numbers here. So $120,000, your goal is to make that in the year. There's 12 months in a year. Your first breakdown of that goal is, okay, I need to make $10,000 a month, okay? And in order to hit that, you need to make, you know, divide by $2,500 a week, okay, roughly to hit that goal. And then what you do is you say, okay, well, how many t-shirts do I have to sell in order to make $2,500? And so let's say you're selling them at $100 a t-shirt. You need 25 t-shirts sold per week. Okay, how many phone calls or whatever avenue or path that you're using to make this? Let's just pretend it's phone calls. How many phone calls do I need to make in order to sell 100 t-shirts a week? And so let's say, well, you start at the top of that, right? Well, every, every phone call that picks up, every person that I talk to, I'm going to sell... 50% of them. So already, you know, you need to make 200 calls, but out of those people, how many calls do you have to make in order for 200 people to get 200 people on the phone? Well, I need to call 400 to get 200 to answer, to get hundred to buy. Okay. Well now you're, here's your goal setting. So I need to make 400 phone calls a week, right? And now how many, how many minutes does it take for a phone call? Let's say it's two minutes. So it's 200 minutes of direct calling. And now how long does it take you to set up to build a list of that. So you really just break it down like that. And then you want to get to the point where you don't have to think you're just executing. There's a time for goal planning and there's a time for execution. And I think it's really, really important to have a system where you can take this great idea, turn it into a project, base it off of a large goal, and then chunk it all the way down to the very smallest detail so that your brain doesn't have to think. Your brain just has to execute. Do, do, do. I love that analogy you gave because it's beyond just this lofty idea of here's my goal because a lot of people get discouraged when you know they make their new year's resolution and maybe it's one or two weeks in they're like oh well that didn't pan out but they really wanted it and so like what are the kind of things stopping them and so like it sounds like you're saying you don't just make the lofty goal you actually make the granular plan to get there and then you're just going to dedicate yourself to that plan because it'll eventually add up to that large goal. Yeah, and so it's not about guessing if it's going to add up or not. It, you're, you really want to do the math. You really want to break it down. There's no, There shouldn't be any guesswork in getting you to your goal. It's great to manifest. It's great to have affirmations. But you need to be 
dead targeted on something that you're aiming for. And then you need to allocate the time in your calendar to actually pursue and attack those to-dos and actionable items that will then lead you to your goal. Everyone like, like uh, the most common goal is like weight loss, right? And everyone's like, I want to lose you know, 30 pounds this year. I want to lose 30 pounds this year. And everyone focuses on losing 30 pounds, losing 30 pounds. But when they go step on the scale, it's too late. The moment you step on the scale, it's too late. You're already looking at your end measure. Your end measure is whether you stepped on, on, is whether you're at the weight you want to be, but it has no difference. When you step on the scale, it's not like you can be like lower and the scale shows lower. Or when it comes time to look at your, your sales for your t-shirt company, we just talked about, you're like, 2,500 t-shirts and there's nothing there. You can't affect it at that point. So you need to do the smaller things that affect that, like remove the junk food or make sure you're intermittent fasting every day, or you're, you've spent that 30 minutes of cardio, uh, you know, a day or one hour of workout per day, those, and you've calculated how many times I have to do this. When am I going to do it? Put it in your calendar. Those small things are the things you need to be counting. Those small things are the things you need to be paying attention to. Those are the ones that are going to add up to that large goal. The goal is what you focus on and what you ingrain a deep rooted why with. And that's really important of why you mentioned, you know, a lot of people, they really wanted that goal, but then they fade out. Well, they didn't have a deep enough reason for it. And so you need to come up with a deep, deep reason as to why, you know, maybe that t-shirt company you were starting because, you know, you want to you want to buy that car your mom or dad has always dreamed of. And, and you want to, you want to do that for your parents because they've done so much. For you. you want to buy your first house and this is means the world to you. And you can, you can smell it, taste it, envision it, picture it. You can feel what the brick on the outside of the house feels like. like that's how deep that goal has to be. So you got to taste the end vision and see it so vividly, but then you got to break it down and worry about the small lead measures that lead up to that end result that you're focused on. Very powerful. And thank you for sharing that. And I believe you also have a book on this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes. what's that book called again? Yeah. <laughs> it's called Make the Decision, uh, yeah. how to go from goal setting to goal getting. So yeah, it is exactly about planning those goals and how to keep them at the forefront of your mind and constantly reminded of them. And a lot of it talks about your why and finding a deep reason and how to remind yourself of that and keep yourself motivated and also planning that goal and attacking it via granular detail as well. So awesome. And I want to segue back into talk capital and talk developments and in light of those goals and what kind of brought that vision together. I wanted to also go over what is kind of your vision together for this company? Where do you see it happening in the, in the next, you know, one or three or five years? And I know you kind of brought in the ideas of how you're going to scale a lot, especially in the real estate space. So I guess what was kind of the empowerment for your team into why we should do that now? And why is now the time when, you know, a lot of times in the market we're hearing, it's a tough time to do all that. So <laughs> yeah, I think like the best saying that like, everybody in real estate uses is um, the best time to buy real estate was 10 years ago. And the next best time to buy real estate is now. And so that will like forever ring true. Um, there's obviously up and downs in the market and your real estate investing strategy will determine how you perform and stay afloat during those ups and downs. But if you've properly planned your strategy, you should be perfectly fine to make it through. Now the market is down the, you know, you're like, I like to say like 
real estate's on sale right now. So, um, you know, the interest rates are up. Everyone's freaking out. Oh my God, the interest rates are up. Yep. It's affected us as well. We certainly have seen our cash flow come down, but at the same time, you know, now's the time to acquire. I always tell people like, I was talking to one of my friends the other day, he's talking about buying his first house and, he's, and the interest rates are so high though. I said, okay, what does that mean? He's like, well, it's going to cost me an extra thousand dollars a month or $1,500 a month, let's say, whatever it is, you know, depending on the size of the house, obviously, and the cost of it. But let's say it costs you an extra $1,000 a month to buy that house and own it right now. And I'm thinking, okay, but it's $100,000 less the cost compared to last year. So do you think that for 100 months, it's not going to change? Right. And, you know, like, is this, is this an eight year thing where the prices aren't going to come back and, and the interest rates going to stay higher? So, you know, you're getting a discount at this, the price will eventually come back. You'll get to make that money, the money you spent on additional interest. So, you know, that's one theory of many, and this is more my opinion than any advice, but uh, I should disclaim that. But yeah, I think it's always a good time to invest. And one of the things I tell people all the time is like, also make sure you're investing in yourself because if you're given a million dollars, you better become a millionaire very quickly. You know what I mean? There's a very big difference between having a million dollars and having a million dollars up here in your head and knowing what to do with it. So a lot of it will come down to personal development and planning as well. So invest in yourself while you're investing in your financial self. Yes. And I also wanted to continue along that you mentioned that you see actually a lot of opportunity for growth with tech development. So, and even going into the States. So yeah. Where do you see this? If you could give the audience even a switch of an idea in like the next five years, where do you see this company going? I think in the next five years, we're going to have our brand and logo up on some really large buildings. <laughs> that will be a testament to what we've accomplished and how much we've acquired being able to you know, put our brand up on some large buildings. We have a goal to house a lot of people. That's where we focus our our energy is. How many families can we provide an amazing, high quality home for? And we really pride ourselves on being able to provide this community for the families that we provide housing for and provide them with a top-notch product. We look at other landlords and some investors and you know, they're coming in, they're buying stuff, they're not really changing too much, and they're charging as much as they can. That isn't necessarily bringing up the community or providing this great reputation for them. And so we want to be the company that provides as premium product as we can put in for the people and families that we support and provide those rental spaces for. So we're really looking at the big picture of how many people and families can we create a beautiful home for. That's awesome. I also wanted to ask, because I believe there's an aspect to your company that deals with coaching and training. And what is very interesting in how you describe yourselves is that you are a millennial run company. And I think that's really cool because there's not always the best, you know, impressions given about millennials or our work ethic, but clearly this is a very different, you know, work ethic that you're bringing and kind of disproving a lot of those stereotypes. So I guess I had a question on, as a millennial-led company, what was your biggest obstacle in really showcasing your brand and really letting people know that you're serious about this business and dream that you're building? Oh, I think you're looking for the biggest obstacle as a millennial. Interesting. So I think when we first started, I looked really young. I had a full head of hair. <laughs> so that's what stress, that's what some business stress will do for you. But we did start when we were young. I mean, we were in our mid-20s when we started. And 
we had to overcome the hurdle of building rapid rapport and showcasing our credibility very quickly in a room where the age gap is large. And so the, we were dealing with people a generation or two above us in that space. It's, it's, you know, it's a more veteran, mature age space. And so, you know, we're sitting there and they're looking at us like, what are these kids going to do? And then, you know, we have to bring that to the table very quickly. Whereas a lot of times you sit down, you, you know, people who are like in age, alike in age, they're going to have that rapport. And they're saying, well, this person must know what they're doing. They've been in this industry for a long time. And so being in it for lesser time than, than the others and them look at us like, wow, they're just millennials. You know, they don't work hard or whatever the stereotypes are. It's important that we, we really build that credibility fast and prove ourselves. And so we were constantly, I would say we were constantly in a state of offense. We were constantly on the offensive, make sure we're making a name, make sure we're proving ourselves, make sure we're really creating the brand that we are the hardest working in the industry. And that's been a huge obstacle on its own, but it's also been our biggest reward too. So, and you know, we like the saying, your greatest test will be your greatest testimony. And so, you know, having to jump over those hurdles have provided us with some pretty cool trophies. That's awesome. Uh, thanks for giving background on that and how that actually fueled your company. And also to go back to the coaching aspect of your company, what role does that play in you coaching, you know, other millennials or the next generation? And kind of what has even changed in this space? I know I'm starting to see a lot of like real estate millennials on TikTok, for example. Yeah. What is the future looking like for teaching and coaching the next generation in this space? Wow. What a Great question. I I think right now, Jordan and I love just talking to younger people who are motivated. We love the motivation. We are, it just reminds us of what we were doing and what we still are. We just love seeing people with fire. You know what I mean? That spark and that fire. And so we love giving back. We love helping the younger generations. We'll pour it all on for them, introduce them to some key contacts. We'll make sure that they're set up, that they pick their proper goals and chunk them down and make sure that they have actionable steps that they can do to get them. I think that in the future, technology and the younger generations are going to make it more and more accessible to get the information you're looking for, which is really good. And I think that real estate investing is going to go, this is such a hard question because I feel like I have two completely separate beliefs. I feel as though in the short term, real estate investing is going to is and is going to be something that becomes to grow in popularity because the knowledge is there and you know their systems are becoming readily available. But then I also feel that you know in 20 years from now, no one's going to own homes. I also feel like literally it will be large corporations that will own homes. The government will own a lot of homes and then people will just rent and you'll see people living potentially an even better quality of life because they'll get to spend so much more money. I think the consumer economy is going to continue to grow. And I think people are going to not dump the down payment into the homes and they're just going to rent a more luxurious place. And I think that the government's probably going to help like help pay for those rental costs or provide some sort of like general monthly payments, you know, but I would say it's not where my, my biggest knowledge lays, but these are the feelings I have. I think the prices are continuing to go up. I think it's going to become harder and harder to achieve. You'll have to invest further and further away from the city centers, which is historically what happens all over international cities. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I too am curious and excited. 
Yeah, that is a really interesting perspective for sure. And as we're gearing towards the end, I have a couple more questions for you. But one of them is, what are you legally allowed to share, I guess, was kind of the scariest purchase and kind of a purchase that you and your team were like, wow, that was incredible. Like, we're so proud of that. We never knew that would be as big as it was. Like, what was kind of the most shocking purchase and investment story in your journey so far that you are allowed to share? (laughs) I mean, I can share anything with you. I will give you like one really good one and one really bad one because it's important that people understand that there's both. Do you want the good or the bad first? Yeah, good question. Okay, let's start with the bad. (laughs) Uh, I think like in the peak of the market, there's very little you could do to get a house with a conditional offer. So everybody was going firm offers. It was an absolute frenzy out there. So you really had to know what you're doing. And there are ways to check on a lot of the information, but some stuff you just couldn't get away with like really doing your due diligence on. So you had to know your numbers and you had to you know test your risk threshold and see what you could, you know, where you're willing to do. And one of the properties we bought looked really good and we bought them we buy a lot of properties as is in like really beat up condition and then we fix them up and make them beautiful and we bought this house as is because everything even nice houses were selling as is in the heat of the market and everything looked good at first glance even the electrical looked good it was an updated panel and then we started doing renovation taking down some drywall and we go oh my god it's knob and tube the entire house and so some the seller previous seller had spliced in uh, the electrical panel so they like very this is like a very no-no thing to do like you don't connect new wires to knob and tube you you change it and so anyways they made it look like it was newly wired and it wasn't and that was like you know $30,000 worth of electrical work that had to be done in this house and so a bit of a nightmare there but you know we made it work we rewired the whole house and got it done so we try and see the positive in every negative but that was a yeah, it was a, a punch in the stomach for sure on that one. And then um, a good one I would say would be uh, one of the first properties we bought. It was for sale uh, as a triplex is what he, the seller thought it was. But after doing like a lot of due diligence on this property, came to realize that it's actually a fourplex. There's just one like wall or door that was missing. It's registered. Everything's good. And it's recognized as the fourplex. And so we got a wicked, wicked deal. Ended up putting that wall back in, having four proper units there. And yeah, we renovated all the units and it appraised for an absolute killer price. And so we were able to refinance and tenant it and cash flow it beautifully. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing both sides, because I think a lot of people will jump into real estate and yeah, they need to know both sides of the story, like what can happen, what can't happen. So I always like um, picking people's brain in that space, like what's the worst experience you've had and the best and how do you navigate those experiences as well? It's important. It's important for people to know that no matter what industry and what you do, there's always going to be bad and negative things that happen. The most important thing is how do you handle that? You know, there's, there's months when you're losing you know, or you're, or you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, and you feel like you're spinning your wheels. And then there's months when you're earning hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're on top of the world. And so it's really important to know that you're going to see both sides of everything. And you know, Jordan and I always talk about failing faster. We're not afraid of that failure. You actually want to fail faster and make your way through it. So you learn these lessons and, you know, get a mentor, but also don't be afraid of that failure you know, run at it head on and and break through it and make it to the other side. 
In light of that, the last question for today is what do you value the most about the position that you and Jordan are in today with Talk Capital? I think that the real estate side of things, I value being able to speak a language that is globally universal. I think real estate is you know, everywhere. The financing for it is similar across you know, most countries that we would spend time in. And the ability to have that conversation or build this type of model across the world is, is really, really exciting and fun and, and cool. And so I love that. And then in terms of just the position we're in, I, I, I'm just excited that I'm able to help people and be able to provide some of this knowledge and insight. And you know, we, we've helped so many people make their first investment and make the first purchase of their primary residence. And the, you know, the feeling of them coming back and being like, I can't believe I did it. Like it's the most incredible feeling in the world. I remember, you know, one of the first clients that we coached, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to buy a house in three years from now. That's my goal. And I was like, three years. I was like, like, how badly do you want this house? Like 10 out of 10. I was like, all right, well, we can get you into a house in six months. They're like, no, 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 no. I'm like five months later, bought his first property. And, and the reaction was, you know, 10 out of 10. And it's just so rewarding. So. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Evan, for sharing so much knowledge with our audience today. Um, just giving you a chance to let the audience know where can they find you. This will, of course, be in the show notes, but where can they find you, Jordan, and the company you're running and the services you offer? Yeah, thank you. So uh, you can find me at Evan Unger on Instagram. So E-V-A-N-U-N-G-A-R, or you can go to tuckcapital.com. It's T-U-K-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. You can also go to evanunger.com and we're on the web. You can Google me and uh, I'm sure we'll pop up, but uh, be happy, you know, reach out, talk to us anytime. We're super open-minded, love chatting with new people and uh, providing value. So reach out and let me know how I can provide some value to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this valuable knowledge for the Okiki podcast today. It's an honor to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.